Well, we're at that point in our service where we worship God by hearing from His Word. If you open your copy of the Scripture, Matthew chapter 10, your Bible ought to just automatically open to that spot now. We've been in Matthew for a number of weeks, months, yay, in fact, uh, we have, and we're grateful to uh, be back there again as we hear our Lord's words uh, here in the 16th verse of the 10th chapter. That's where we begin, the 16th verse down through verse 23. Allow me to uh, read these verses in your hearing. Behold, I send you out as sheep in the midst of wolves. So be shrewd as serpents and innocent as doves. But beware of men, for they will hand you over to the courts and scourge you in their synagogues. And you will even be brought before governors and kings for my sake, as a testimony to them and to the Gentiles. But when they hand you over, do not worry about how or what you are to say, for it will be given you in that hour what you are to say. For it is not you who speak, but it is the Spirit of your Father who speaks in you. Brother will betray brother to death, and a father his child, and children will rise up against parents and cause them to be put to death. You will be hated by all because of my name, but it is the one who has endured to the end who will be saved. But whenever they persecute you in one city, flee to the next. For truly I say to you, you will not finish going through the cities of Israel until the Son of Man comes. The word of God this morning uh, for these verses, sheep among wolves. As Christians, we live, move, and have our being in a Christ-rejecting world. The spiritual descendants of the first century crucifiers of Christ populate our planet even today. They belong to the domain of darkness, Satan's realm. In contrast, we who know the Lord Jesus Christ through the new birth experience, we're in our Father's kingdom, the kingdom of light, the kingdom of heaven. Therefore, the inhabitants of these respective kingdoms, shall we say, are not on the same page. Because they reject Christ, they reject us. They will persecute us. In fact, they will persecute faithful Christians. Paul writes in 2 Timothy, Jesus will be persecuted. Persecution is inevitable. Us. The passage before us concerns itself with the persecution of believers from the time of Jesus and the apostles to our Lord's second coming. We see that at the bottom of verse 23 when it says, Until the Son of Man comes. This portion of Scripture, these words of Jesus just, that I just read in your hearing, Look beyond the lifetime of the disciples. Like an astronomer, Jesus prophetically telescopes the future. He brings distant events up close, prophetically speaking. Even the more immediate future is telescopically viewed pertaining to the disciples. 
Our Lord uh, didn't invent this method of teaching. In fact, the Old Testament prophecies, there are some like that. For example, it doesn't show in the Old Testament or disclose a period of time between the first and second comings of Messiah. You will look in vain in the Old Testament to try to see an interim between the first coming of Jesus and his second coming. The Old Testament, by God's design, did not disclose an intervening period. It's like a parenthesis in the middle of a sentence. So Jesus here is crystal clear in articulating that persecution awaits his followers throughout the sweep of history. In carrying out their evangelistic assignment, the disciples needed to be clear-eyed about the hostility that awaited them. Even as we must be clear-eyed as we take the gospel to those around us. One way to be clear-eyed is to recognize the nature of fallen man. We have to have our doctrine of sin correct. We really have to understand biblical anthropology. We uh, need to draw that from the Word of God. I'm uh, always amazed and disheartened sometimes when I hear Christians parroting the world's view of man. Many times Christians, they say man is basically good. And I want to say to those Christians, you need to quit listening to the secularist and begin to listen to the word of God. Man is not basically good. We can look at TV and social media and discern that, but I look at the word of God. The word of God is unambiguous about the nature of Adam's descendants. Romans chapter 3, verses 10 through 12, delineates man's depravity apart from Christ. It says, all under sin, meaning they're under the power of sin. There isn't a person on this planet apart from Jesus Christ who is not under the dominion, the power of sin. If they're not in Christ, they're under the power of sin. If they're not in Christ, sin rules over them. If they're not in Christ, they have no power over sin. It controls them. All under sin. There is none righteous. Not even one. There is none who seeks for God. There is none who does good. There is not even one. So if you're looking for somebody who walked this planet that didn't fit this category, let me let you know he's at the right hand of God the Father right now. Jesus Christ alone. So we have to be biblical about our view of man. And that's how we can be clear-eyed as we live in this world. And and I'm going to tell you something, what what goes on in this world. Let me me give you another example of this. Uh, I was reading yesterday, and it's a phrase I read in a book that I just purchased. 
and it talked the author talked about how our culture is celebrating sin i said that's a great way to formulate it our culture is celebrating sin they march and call it a prayed pride march that's celebrating sin and that's what's going on in our culture may i tell you something our culture is in rapid descent. We're kind of in a free fall as the culture is getting away from God. It is suppressing the truth. It is denying the authority of Scripture and it's doing what it wants and it's saying what they're doing is something to be celebrated or applauded. It's the culture we're living in. Mankind has fallen. And its fallenness, its depravity is being seen in our culture, people are doing things that used to be hidden. They didn't want people to know what they were. Now they're out letting everybody know what they are. And they're proud of it. Unless you think I'm just picking on a particular group, people fornicate up and down the street all the time. And I don't mean literally in the street, but they're not covering it up. Now, may I say this? I'm going to say this because we need to have a right view of this stuff. You know, it's amazing to me that people can be together cohabiting and call themselves one another's fiance. And they have a trove of children. It's rebellion against God. Sin. You, you need to have the right view of man. Man elevates himself by evaluating himself as basically good. God assesses man as evil. I don't know about you, but I'm taking God's view. <laughs> the truth about man is seen in Jesus' teaching right here in our text. He labels those who oppose and persecute his people. Notice the text says wolves. That is not a complimentary term. With that reality in mind, Jesus told his disciples how they were to be. Uh, he was telling about their character, and he was, um, by extension, telling us how we are to be. Our first heading, then, for this message is the believer's character. The believer's character. How are we to be in a, in a world that we're presently in, in a world where there's manifest depravity, in a world where people are doing and saying whatever they wish to say in contradiction to the word of God? Jesus, notice in verse 16, he starts that, says, behold. He calls special attention to what Jesus is, uh, what he is about to say. He says uh, to them and to us, I send you out as sheep in the midst of wolves. Let's stop there at the semicolon and expound on it just for a moment. The language implies dangerous mission owing to the nature of wolves. He's sending them into the harvest field. We've been talking about that, remember? That's been what has been discussed. You'll call back in... Matthew chapter 9, verses 37 and 38, Jesus talked about the harvest. It's plentiful, but the workers are few. And he said, I, you're to beseech the Lord of the harvest to send out workers into his harvest. And so describing the people in the harvest to whom we're to reach with the gospel, he is saying there are wolves. 
going into the harvest field of lost men is not necessarily a Sunday school picnic. Now, you said, well, I'm, I'm glad it was for the 12. <laughs> the mission wasn't only for the 12. Jesus uses similar language in Luke chapter 10, verses 1 and 3, in speaking to the 70 whom he sent out. He said to them, go. Behold, I send you out as lambs in the midst of wolves. By extension, this applies to us as we pursue obeying the Great Commission, Matthew 28, 19, and 20. So when we go out, when we're in the world, as we see people who are without Christ, do understand what we're up against. Sheep. Lamb. Wolf. These are metaphorical terms, of course. And as I said a moment ago, it implies danger. Wolves are the natural predators of sheep. The natural predators of lamb. L literal wolves see sheep as potential dinner. They see lambs as lamb chops. <laughs> it's a mmm. <laughs> Isaiah 65 verse 25 is a prophecy of the conditions of the earth when the curse will be partially removed during the millennial kingdom of Christ when he comes and rules over the entire planet uh, the curse that we're presently living under will be partially removed and so conditions will be different from the way we know them today and this transformation will affect the animal kingdom the animal kingdom and its predatory reality will be changed. There will be a dramatic change during this time. Their natures will be changed. That text reads, Isaiah 65, 25, in part this, the wolf and lamb will graze together. That is amazing. Can you see them? There is a wolf and a lamb, and the lamb says, what you having for dinner? Not you, Mr. Lamb. My appetite's been changed. I have a new menu item. I'm going to just lie here with you, and we're going to eat some grass. We're going to graze together. They will do no harm, the Bible there in that text says, in all my holy mountain. But now... Metaphorical wolves are the enemy of metaphorical sheep. <laughs> sheep are defenseless. They're dependent, <laughs> dependent. I hate to say this, but I have to. You know, we're called sheep. Sheep are gullible. One commentator said they're stupid. <laughs> well, spiritually we are. Are we not? Spiritually speaking. Sheep are not powerful. That's what we're like in the world. But Jesus says, you notice in the text, so be shrewd as serpents in our dealing with wolves. In ancient times, serpents symbolized wisdom. 
Phrenonymous is the word in the original, and phrenonymous means smart, cautious, prudent. We would exhibit godly wisdom as we deal with people in the world. How do you how do you have godly wisdom? You draw from the Scripture. You, you 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 spend time with the Lord and you get close to Him. You apply the truth of Scripture. Colossians chapter four verse five. Conduct yourselves with wisdom toward outsiders, making most of the opportunity. Let verse six. Let your speech always be with grace, as though seasoned with salt, so that you'll know how you should respond to each person. We're to say the right thing in the right way at the right time. We are, to have, we are to have a sense of what is appropriate. We're not to be inflammatory when we deal with lost people. That's how you're shrewd as serpents. The text further states, and innocent as doves. Doves are the most harmless and gentle of birds. Doves represent being pure or innocent. In sharing the word of God, in sharing the gospel, we should never be abrasive. We should never be coarse. We should never be inconsiderate, belligerent, or blatant. Not to be like that at all. Don't be blunt. You don't respond to them the way they may respond to you. I think one way to keep in thing to keep in mind is, but by the grace of God, you would be where they are. So no Christian really has the business, any business, acting like he or she is better than that unbeliever. Because you're not. If it weren't for grace... If it weren't for grace, there you would be. So, so what you want to do is be mindful of their condition. Be mindful of what they are, uh, even what you once were. Until the Lord opened your eyes and scales dropped and you saw Christ in his glory and you embraced him. That's all by grace. You said, no, 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 no. I, I was uh, pretty shrewd. I, I was smart. I could realize, you know, I analyzed the situation. I saw, no, um, this thing following Christ is the right thing to do. That's what I'll do. No, you did not. <laughs> Nobody's that smart. In fact, and Jesus told the rich young ruler, uh, sell his stuff and give to the poor and come and follow me. Mark 10, remember that? And... The rich young ruler walked away. And the disciples wondered, well, who then can be saved? Because they thought that Talmud said, if you, uh, you could buy your way into heaven, you could buy salvation. And if this rich guy couldn't buy his salvation, oh my, what does that say for the, those who aren't rich? Jesus said, um, with God, all things are possible. It's hard, it's impossible for a person to be saved. The only way a person can be saved is when God 
grants them grace. We don't control grace. So as we deal with lost people, even in your family or wherever, you have to remember, God has to grant them grace. You aren't to be blunt. You aren't to be abrasive. You give them the gospel graciously. Further, godly wisdom has no part in anything that is impure, deceitful, or defiling. Nothing untruthful or unethical can enhance the gospel. Paul was uh, a man who was godly in his relationship to them. First Thessalonians 2, 3, you might write that down and read it later on. When you're, you're out and you're innocent as doves, as you talk to people, maybe at work, in your family, or wherever you happen to be, be like Jesus. He was holy, innocent, and undefiled. Hebrews chapter 7, verse 26. How you want to be. So you relate to men and women without Christ. Now, Jesus is going to lay out in verses 17 through 21, or 22, he's going to identify the wolves. <laughs> he's going to identify the wolves. Verse 17. Religion. But beware of men, for they will hand you over to the courts and scourge you in their synagogues. In addition to godly character, we're to be watchful. That's the idea behind the word beware. Men without Christ have a fallen nature that is hostile to God, Christ, and His truth. But sinful man is also an agent, unwittingly, many times, of Satan. They will do his bidding, and they're in opposition to the gospel. So we have to understand a subset of angelology, Satanology. Satan, he has his ministers, he has his people. And we have to understand the doctrine of sin. Hamartiology, that is the doctrine of sin. I've just said there are men are in sin. So here you have this fallen angel who has his people who are sinful, and he uses them to oppose God and his gospel. That's the reality of the world we live in. There will be religious persecution. Verse 17, the word for, for they will hand you over to the courts and scourge you in their synagogues. For explains the persecution, how it's going to occur. Courts. Let me give you the historical background. Jews were allowed to settle most of their disputes among themselves under Roman authority. These courts were part of the synagogue, synagogue's gathering place. A Jew accused of breaking Mosaic law, rabbinic tradition, would be brought before a tribunal of judges who decided the verdict and meted out punishment. And notice, that would include scourging, especially in New Testament times. What they would do, they would give them 39 lashes, 40 lashes in the Old Testament. What the Jews would do to make sure they'd exceed the uh, prescribed amount in the Old Testament, they'd stop at 39. If it had been me, I said, stop sooner. 
The apostles were flogged. They were told to don't preach in the name of Jesus. They, they didn't want to hear uh, the, the, the religious leaders in Israel who had rejected Christ. They didn't want to hear that this Jesus whom they had executed is raised and these guys running around Jerusalem preaching the, the resurrection of Jesus. said, y'all stop that. And the apostles said, uh, yeah, sure. And they kept on preaching. And as a consequence, they were flogged. Acts chapter 4, verse 2, chapter 5 of Acts and verse 40. Religion. Those who oppose, and even today in our world, there are religions like uh, Islam. They've murdered Christians. They hate Christians because they hate Christ. Jesus said, that's, they're wolves. But he's not done there. Next, where he depicts scribe, wolves, is this, government. And you will even be brought before governors and kings for my sake as a testimony to them and to the Gentiles. Government is ordained by God. We know this because Romans 13 tells us. First Peter chapter 2 tells us. God has set up government. He has established government. He's given a government authority for mankind's good. Do understand that. To provide control in society. Otherwise, sinful man would run amok. Can you imagine if we didn't have somebody in control who could impose power to stop folk from doing things? You know man is bad. What you doing locking your door? Why do you have a security system? Basically good? Yeah, right. Why do we have a jail in this city? You want them locked up. Somebody's running around murdering folk or raping women. What do you want? Lock that fellow up. Right? And if they ask me, I say, yeah. Do you need my help? (laughs) Hey, we just have to be real, people. We live in a fallen world. Now, here's the, the, the problem. Government is given by God for good, but also government, governments are led by unregenerate men. They hate God. And they hate all that his word stands for. Demons even infiltrate governments with the leaders and they'll do things uh, that are contrary to what is Right. You, you need to understand that about this. Every, everything is tainted by sin. Now, keep your place there. I want you to go with me to Psalm 2. Are y'all in a hurry? I'm glad you're not because I'm not. <laughs> Psalm 2. Let me show you something. The way uh, men in leadership are. And I, I know ladies, women run things too. I understand that. But just allow me to say men. If I don't say women, don't take offense at it. Okay. <laughs> Psalm 2. 
Why are the nations in an uproar? And the people's devising a vain thing. Get it, verse 2. The kings of the earth take their stand and the rulers take counsel together. Verse 2, the C part. Against the Lord and his anointed. They take counsel against the Lord, God the Father. And who is this anointed? The Lord Jesus Christ, the Messiah. What do they say? Verse 3. Let us tear their feathers apart and cast away their cords from us. In other words, we do not want to be restrained by God. We don't want his control. We want to do what we want to do. That's what they're saying. Have you wondered why uh, governments will promote views and laws that are contrary to the word of God? Psalm 2. It's why. If you don't understand that, you don't understand the Bible. They hate God. Now, I'm not saying there's some Christians in government, but just I'm telling you, that's the way it is. These lost men do that. They want to cast away their cords, the Father and the sons. Verse 4, though, here's the thing. I guess I need to share this with you. He who sits in the heavens laughs. The Lord scoffs at me. <laughs> the Almighty laughs. These little puny guys think they're going to really run things. You really think you're going to stop me from putting my son in the place that I want him? Really? You really think that? It's not going to happen. That's why he laughs. At some point, I'm not going to go through this whole psalm, he's going to give Christ the entire world. And he, in verse 12, let's just skip down there. I need to hurry on. Do homage to the Son, that he not become angry and you perish in the way. In other words, submit to the Son of God. For his wrath may soon be kindled against those who are his opponents. How blessed are or all who take refuge in him. Let me share something with you. A coffin for your empire. Ascending to the throne as Caesar of Rome in A.D. 360, Flavius Claudius Julianus reinstituted pagan worship which had been abolished under the rule of Constantine. With diabolical fury, this ruler opposed the followers of Christ, whom he viewed as, quote, powerful enemies of our gods, unquote. With the fanatical resolve, he sought to remove Christianity from the face of the earth. History records that Julianus did persecute many Christians and took the lives of many who stood for their faith in Christ. In an attempt to entertain some friends, Julianus taunted one believer named Agaton. With so many Christians being put to death, the emperor asked him, How is your carpenter of Nazareth? Is he finding work these days? Without hesitation, Agaton replied, 
quote, he is perhaps taking time away from building mansions for the faithful to build a coffin for your empire. Agaton was right. Centuries have passed. The Roman Empire has risen and fallen, but only one kingdom has withstood the test of time, the kingdom of God. The Son of God still takes time away from building his mansions to build coffins for those who reject his truth. Such rebellion by Julianus represents the pathetic attempts of sinful man to revolt against the authority of God and his Christ. But try as they may, mankind cannot overthrow God's eternal throne. His kingdom is invincible, end of quote. Amen. Acts chapter 4, verse 25 and 27, they quote this psalm after they were fought by the religious leaders in Israel. Here in chapter 10, the text continues. In verse 18, it's for my sake. They're handed over. You see, it is Christ the world hates. You get that? It is Christ they oppose. Jesus said, if they hated me, they'll hate you. And that text in John chapter 15, verses 18 and 19, if they hated you, the if is not a word of doubt in the Greek. It means since they hated me, they will hate you because you're associated with me. And since you are, you will receive the hatred. But these persecuted believers will be handed over as a testimony to them, a testimony about who Jesus Christ is, the truth about him. And even Gentiles will get to hear. The next thing in this, out here among these people, there is a promise. A promise when they're among the wolves. She's going to be handed over, verse 19 says, under the heading promise. Do not worry about how or what you are to say, for it will be given you in that hour what you are to say. Let me just unpack verse 19 for a moment. How, that's a general plan. You're thinking in your mind, okay, I'm handed over to these rulers, these kings, these people. Uh, What am I going to say in my defense? What am I going to say? What's the subject matter? Jesus said, don't worry about that. Because you notice in verse 20, for it is not you who speak, but it's the spirit of your father who speaks in you. The Holy Spirit will do the talking. He will use your mouth. The believer can rely on the spirit to speak through him or her at that moment. To make a defense through uh, him or them. Spirit will. The believer is to be the mouthpiece. But you need to understand he is not to be an automaton or robot. An automaton or robot. The Holy Spirit will enable will enable the persecuted believer to find just what to say and how to say it down to the last word. And that's, that's happened with martyrs. They, at the, the, they're being burned at the stake and other ways. They have the right words at the appropriate moment, the grace of God, the words they come and they testify. William Tyndale said as he was being put to death for the English Bible said, Lord, open the eyes of the king of England. Can you imagine saying something like that? They're putting you to death. Now, there's a word of caution. I remember some years ago, and we were on Main Street, this young lady in our church, she took this verse and thought, 
That's all the preacher had to do, just open his mouth and speak. And the, one of the pastors I grew up under said, yeah, you, you open your mouth and the Lord fill it full of hot air. This is not a proof text for the preacher who does not study. God doesn't promise me or any pastor anywhere on the planet that all you need to do on Sunday morning is stand up there and open your mouth and I'm going to fill it. Normal preaching and teaching ministries require that preparation be made. Somebody stands up in a pulpit and they say, well, I'm just going to trust the Spirit to speak through me. You ought to get up and walk out. Keep this in mind, however. Even the preparation. The study has gone in. We need the power of the Holy Spirit. The power is not in rhetoric. To say anything of spiritual value requires the power of the Holy Spirit. That's why I spend time preparing. I will not ever come to this pulpit on Sunday morning or any other time and just say, well, I think I'll just talk about thus and such. It's not going to happen. If you teach the Word of God, don't do that. Prepare. Be diligent. Study. And God will use your endeavor bless his people that's how it's to be done so spirit of god will help in a time of persecution these guys didn't have the opportunity to go prepare i mean when you you're taken away and you brought before the you don't have time to hold on i got to go spend some time in the word of god so i can know what to say to no 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 the holy spirit will help in that case family wolves in the family can you imagine that wolves in the family Yes. Verse 21, brother will betray brother to death and a father his child and children will rise up against parents and cause them to be put to death. Wow. Family betrayal because of the allegiance of a believer to Jesus Christ. This persecution by family members of believers reaches its apex in the tribulation period. Revelation 6 through 16, those chapters there. Matthew 24, 12, uh, because of lawlessness being increased, most people's love will grow cold, cold toward truth, toward gospel. And I believe this is a reference here in verse 21 to that time, the, the tribulation period. I believe that's what Luke is saying in Luke chapter 21, verse 16. He says this, but you will be, tr- be betrayed even by parents and brothers and relatives and friends. And they will put some of you to death. It's going to happen. To next point, heading society. Verse 21, 22, you will be hated by all because of my name. But it's the one who has endured to the end who will be saved in the book of revelation that time will be a period of intense persecution of believers believers who are jewish and gentile 
Revelation 12, verse 17, the dragon will go after them. Revelation 13, 7, the Antichrist will go after the saints. It'll be a, a great time of uh, persecution against those who have come to faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. It's, it's going to be a time of unparalleled judgment and wickedness. And what's fascinating, I just thought about this, and I'm glad I found the right verse. You know, it's, it can be frightening. You're standing up for people, and you think about verse again. Where is it? 25 years ago, we didn't have that problem. <laughs> Revelation chapter 12, verse 11. You notice what's said here. They were persecuted and they overcame him because of the blood of the Lamb, the death of Christ that trusted him. Because of the word of their testimony. And they did not love their life even when faced with death. They said, I follow Christ. Kill me if you want to. I love him more than my life. Now, verse 22b in Matthew 10. It says, but it is the one who has endured to the end who will be saved. It's not saying that endurance saves a person. You're not saved by sticking it out. What it is saying, the saved will persevere or endure. True Christians will persevere in the faith. Phony Christians will not. The reality of that is really clear. Jesus in his parable of the sword, and it was read earlier in Matthew chapter 13, I'm using that particular uh, parallel, verse 21, that when persecution came because of the word, those who professed faith but didn't possess Christ, a genuine faith, they abandoned Christ. True Christians persevere. They will not fall away permanently from Christ. And when I say permanently, some people can stumble, but they will not permanently turn away from Christ. You really belong to him. It doesn't matter what they try to do to you. You'll stay with Christ. May I say this? Jesus doesn't talk about health, wealth, and prosperity in this. Even when he talked about in, in Mark 10 about the houses and lands and farms and family that one receives from following him, he also adds there and persecutions. What's our response? Verse 23. But whenever they persecute you in one city, flee to the next. For truly I say to you, you will not finish going through the cities of Israel until the Son of Man comes. In other words, 
You're not required to stay around and be pummeled, persecuted. You can get out of Dodge. Paul, he did that. Acts 12 through 14 in chapter 17. He fled. You can't minister effectively because of persecution. Go minister elsewhere. And I believe this is a reference to the tribulation period when it'll be intense. Verse 23. We already saw it a moment ago in Revelation. I mentioned it to you. Tribulation period. That's the pattern to follow until Christ comes. Um, this, folks, is real Christianity. Thank God we're not at this point in our own experience ex having to deal with some of these things. But you know how it is. You can share the gospel with somebody with whom you work or in your social circle or whatever, and you know they can kind of give you a cold shoulder or look at you strangely or you know, you can experience some of that little stuff. And I say little. I, I, I've told you before, uh, this kid sat, we were dorm mates, and he looked at me and told me I was, uh, maybe I'd get my head screwed on straight. I've never forgotten that. I thank him. Because Jesus said something about that, about persecution. I guess I'll close with this, if that's okay with you. Blessed are those who have been persecuted for the sake of righteousness, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are you when people insult you and persecute you and falsely say all kinds of evil against you because of me. Rejoice and be glad, for your reward in heaven is great. For in the same way they persecuted the prophets who were before you. Let's pray. Thank you, our God and our Father, for these truths. May uh, what we've heard and what we continue to meditate upon from these verses fortify us in our commitment to sharing the gospel with lost men and women. We thank you that uh, there is no time you're not with us. You're sovereign over everything. And whatever happens to us is according to your plan. So help us to be faithful. Thank you that there's reward in heaven for those who experience persecution. For your sake, for righteousness sake. Grant, Lord, that we are not persecuted because we're obnoxious or foolish. Offensive, insulting. But let it simply be because we identify, behave like, and represent Christ and his gospel. That be the offense, not us. Help us to stand for the truth, but not do it in the wrong way. And may uh, our testimony to lost men yield fruit, fruit unto salvation for them, even as it has for us we thank you for your grace your love to send men and women 
to your enemies, wolves. Because once we were wolves, and now we're sheep. Blessed be your holy name. These things we pray in Christ's name. Amen.